it's your boy, and welcome to episode 67 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast, and why others will also, and if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like it, send them your favorite episode. Hopefully everyone had a good holiday, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, uh, Festivus, uh, whatever you celebrate for the holiday. Uh, Hopefully you stayed home. Uh, If you did happen to go see family, uh, hope everyone was safe. Hope everyone's feeling okay now that the holidays are over. Um, Actually, does New Year's count as one of the holidays? I mean, I know it happens around the same time, but is (laughs) is that what we mean? So is it technically still the holiday season until the New Year? Regardless, uh, this is our post, well, for me, Christmas, not that I'm religious, but I still consider uh, Christmas to be uh, the holiday that I celebrate, um, or at least uh, observe, <laughs> right? You know, my brother my brother jokingly uh, wished, wished me a happy Christmas, and, uh, you know, if you happen to be religious, <laughs> maybe this will offend you, but uh, obviously uh, uh, many people who are religious want to keep Christmas Christ-centered. Um, but I don't know. We've talked about this in terms of Thanksgiving and other holidays that people hate. Christopher Columbus Day. Uh, and I, I happen to agree with everyone's criticisms too, by the way, but, um, I'm totally fine with secularizing things. You know, uh, we should definitely keep celebrating Christmas. Uh, we don't have to make it Christ centered. We just have to have the day off work and, uh, an excuse to see family and, uh, maybe trade gifts. Uh, I'm bad at giving gifts. I'm, I don't even think I'm particularly good at receiving gifts, if that makes sense. But um, it's a nice, uh, it's just a nice respite, and it's a nice uh, thing to mark the calendar by. And uh, and yeah, so I don't know. I In some ways, I feel like this, I don't know. I feel like uh, if you do a podcast or if you do anything episodic, you know, you're supposed to uh, have some sort of holiday special, or since this will be the last episode of the year, 2020 especially, I feel like... There's some pressure for this to be <laughs> sort of a retrospective of the year. Um, I hadn't really prepared anything like that. As I'm thinking about it, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to, to think through some of those things out loud. But um, um, but yeah, I have to be honest. I, I think normally, I mean, with the winter anyway, I usually get down in the dumps a little bit. Um, I'm just sort of affected by the seasonal effective stuff. But normally I would say the entire winter, especially, you know, the months leading up to about now are usually pretty difficult for me. Uh, at least in my therapy, I always feel like, you know, I'll have a couple of weeks or a month go by where I just really feel down in the dumps and I sort of have to remember, oh shit, I always feel this way, uh, during this time of year. Um, I don't think this year has been as hard, but, um, th- you know, today I do feel <laughs> down in the dumps. Um, I just feel, I mean, my girlfriend's been gone for a couple of weeks, um, and that's been fine, but it's also, it's been, you know, now that school's over as well, I, you know, other than work, um, I really have no structure and I, that should be enough, but there's something about becoming an adult where the 40 hour work week just is not, it's just not a lot of time when you really break it down. And, uh, you know, if I had obligations like kids, uh, or other things like that, um, obviously I would have my hands full. But even with 40 hours a week, I just, I feel like I have a shit ton of free time on my hands. And now that my girlfriend's gone, I mean, all that time is my own. And, um, I guess I'm reflecting on something I mentioned in the last episode, my brother, 
uh, as we were talking through some of these things, you know, he said, I, you know, you, you always say that you enjoy your time alone. And he's, uh, he was expressing some skepticism about that sentiment saying that, um, I probably don't enjoy my time on my own as much as I, I say that I do, or I think I do. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I do feel like on some level I, I need some time alone. Uh, but maybe everyone's that way. So, but, uh, I guess, I, I don't know. I guess I've just been reflecting on that. Um, and when I think about it, these last few weeks, you know, they haven't been, they haven't been phenomenal. You know, I've, uh, I was going to say I've done a lot with my time, but the truth is I, I, I haven't. I've done a lot of things that I enjoy. You know, I watched a shit ton of movies, especially this week. I feel like I've been on kind of a rampage. Um, I think especially as some of the work stuff I've had to do is very computer based and it's really, um, I was going to say remedial. I don't think that's the word for it. Um, very simple stuff, things I, I have to sort of go on autopilot for and I can have things playing in the background. Um, you know, I've had, uh, I guess I've technically had movies playing in the background and I've, I probably have absorbed them by ear more than by eye, but, um, but, uh, yeah, what am, where am I going with all this? I guess I, I just, the last couple of weeks have been kind of shitty. And in some ways I say, I normally feel kind of down in the dumps around this time of year. And I was going to say that that hasn't really been as much of a case this year as in other times, but there's something about today where I really do feel down in the dumps. Um, I think t- obviously 2020 <laughs> was hard for a lot of people. Uh, even when I try to make a list of all the things that were going on this year, um, you know, I, I just, I forget all this stuff, but obviously it was, you know, the final year of Trump, thankfully. Um, coronavirus, obviously. Um, political, social unrest. Uh, California, you know, we had our wildfires and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just been kind of a nightmare. And uh, it's pretty common now, especially as the year is wrapping up, people are reflecting on how awful 2020 was. And it was a dumpster fire of a year, of course. And uh, people are feeling optimistic about 2021. I don't know. I I don't know. I'm also thinking of New Year's resolutions for some reason. But obviously, the new year uh, is a time for people to sort of reset. And I feel like it makes sense to be optimistic about next year. But I feel like if you're stewing in the same, or you're, if you're steeped in the same tea that I am, I mean, other than the calendar year, I don't know that much is changing. Um, I know they're starting to roll out the vaccine, which is cool, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get it. I don't know when most of us are going to get it. And at least when I think about school, we're going to be remote for the foreseeable future. Work is my my work specifically is going to be remote for the foreseeable future. So I don't really know that I see things changing all that much in 2021, at least at the outset. And if I had to bet, I would say for another six months. I mean, it's kind of funny when I say that. I think like a lot of people, like most people, when the shelter in place first started, when the coronavirus first sort of came up, you know, it was sort of like any other news story. It was just sort of happening out there in the rest of the world, or really in other parts of the world also. And when the shelter in place was first announced here in the Bay Area, I mean, people, I know people were sort of storming the grocery stores, and I never freaked out. I, I In fact, it'd be, you know, maybe I should have done this in preparation, but uh, maybe we'll do that for the next episode. But um, I bet if you go back and listen to those episodes around that time, 
Um, I think I was making a few cracks at people who were taking things too seriously. But I also remember sort of having a laugh at the people, even when I was at the grocery store, and not being a person who freaks out or um, catastrophizes those types of scenarios. I was sort of making fun of the people who I saw walking around with just like a basket with like a head of lettuce and some uh, tomato bisque soup and uh, just a couple odds and end things. And I was like, oh, you're going to die. <laughs> As if these people were woefully underprepared. But um, I guess around that time, we just thought it was going to be like a week, two weeks, just uh, kind of a weird thing that would come and go. And uh, Jesus Christ. I don't think any of us imagined that it would still be going on. And, uh, and, uh, to be honest, I, you know, still feeling pretty resigned to the fact that it's going to continue. Um, the challenge for me hasn't been isolating as much. I'm a pretty independent person. And, uh, I guess, I guess I'm saying two things. Uh, I'm saying something out of both sides of my mouth, right? I do enjoy my time alone. I think it happens to play to my strengths and then I'm not impacted as emotionally by other people. I mean, some people really thrive on being connected and needing to see other people and sort of getting out there and being amongst people. And I've, I've never really been that way. Um, so I guess on one hand, I do feel acclimated to that, and then it doesn't really impact me emotionally as much. I don't feel restless. I don't, um, I don't feel you know, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm missing much. That's sort of my uh, living experience of it. But when I also just reflect on how do I feel at the end of the year now, I don't, I don't think it's been a very productive year for me. Uh, I've done the podcast, which is fine. Um, and yet I, I feel a little bit unfulfilled creatively. Um, I feel like, I mean, I think in recent episodes, I was just sort of talking about um, where I'm at musically and the fact that I'm not writing songs. And I, and I, I said this phrase, um, you know, I don't even think in terms of songs anymore. And that's true. I used to, uh, I, I mean, I obviously, as someone who fancied themselves a songwriter, songs were my, uh, you know, my creative outlet. As I went through the world and sort of thought creatively, everything was material for songs. Every encounter I had, I would you know, turn lyrics over on my head as I went through my day. Um, no matter what I was doing, if I was at work, I would be thinking about songs I was working on. I would um, be mulling over, you know, some couplet I had to finish in my uh, song that I was working on, some lyrics I was working on. Um, I remember when I would walk to work, I would have these demo recordings that I had made, songs that were half written. You know, every time I finished a new lyric or finished a verse or some segment of a song, I would re I would record everything I had up until that point. Um, and I would listen to those recordings as I walked to work. And so, yeah, I had my creative work, uh, even amongst the, I don't know, my daily life sort of stuff. And I don't know, I don't really have that anymore. And on the one hand, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of something that my songwriter buddy Pat Hull said to me one time, which sounded sort of strange in the, in the moment, but also has made more sense to me as I've gotten older, you know, which is when I was writing songs all the time, a lot of that was motivated by, uh, I would call it work ethic. Uh, at the time I definitely would have called it work ethic. Now I, uh, I don't know, but, um, you know, I felt like you had to write every day 
And my buddy Pat was more of a mind where he would wait to be inspired. And, uh, you know, it's not not in a sort of a hippy-dippy, just waiting for the spirit to move you kind of thing, uh, because then you'll be waiting around all the time. But, you know, I was very regimented about it. You know, I, I not that I ever really... Uh, I would have periods where I wrote every day, but um, I was relatively disciplined about it. You know, I would write a few times a week for a few hours. Um, and that that was strange for him. Uh, <laughs> he said, why would you force yourself to do that? Like, And uh, when I look back on it in retrospect, I don't know that I was... I don't know. That I, I think I probably was more productive, but I don't know that my output was necessarily better collectively. Um... So what am I saying? Yeah, I guess I'm just trying to compare how I feel today versus how I have felt at other times in my life, which is, you know, I felt like I had this creative mechanism that was on, that was going, you know, and I, I don't, I don't feel that necessarily. And it's strange, as I've been consuming more books and movies, in some ways I feel more connected to it than I have at other times in the year. Um, um, so I feel like I'm gathering information. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm, um, I'm absorbing things. I mean, I, I feel active creatively, but I don't really have a, a body of work to channel it into. Um, I've been watching a lot of movies. I think about these things. I reflect on them. There's a part of me that as I sit down to do the podcast, I think about... Um, talking about all the movies I've been watching or the books I've been reading. And, and a, I mean, God knows we've certainly done a lot of that. But um, <clears throat> I don't know how compelling that is. Um, I think when I first started doing this podcast, I think, you know, it was equal parts inspiration, you know, Brett Easton Ellis and the Crystalia podcast. And I think I was sort of anticipating, after doing it for over a year now, that by the end of it, it would become... I don't know, funny. <laughs> I mean, most of the podcasts that I listen to happen to be pretty, uh, they're all sort of comedy podcasts. Um, and, you know, I don't know. This podcast to me has felt more just like a diary. And uh, people continue to listen to it, so I assume that it has uh, some entertainment value for some people. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to connect two ideas, which is I think, you know, the last couple of days, you know, I've been kind of down in the dumps. And so maybe I'm, um, you know, maybe I'm broadcasting this on my, as I'm thinking about the podcast here, but, um, I mean, it's sort of weird on, on the one hand we're here, we are at episode 67 and it feels like we've come so far. And yet when you really think about it, we still have so much more to do. You know, if the goal, the first goal is 100, you know, we still have 34 episodes to do. And, you know, when it, on days like today where it's sort of, you know, it's not hard like uh, showing up to work at the coal mine hard. <laughs> it's not that type of difficulty. But on days like today where sitting down to do the podcast feels a bit like a chore, I think, um, man, 30 <laughs> 33, 32 more episodes, whatever it is, feels like a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of mentally, this is where I start hitting these roadblocks and I, <laughs> I start wanting to stop talking, but, um, you know, there is some, uh, criticism I've gotten on the podcast that really just sticks in my craw because I think there's, there's a, there's some truth to it. 
Um, the stuff I don't agree with, I doesn't, I mean, of course it all bothers me, but it doesn't really sit with me. But, you know, my brother has made a comment that I've mentioned a couple of times, which is the, the meta commentary stuff on the podcast is not as entertaining for him. Um, so as I'm having this conversation, I think here you are, as I'm talking about worrying about what the podcast has become, here I am in the middle of a rant that, uh, uh, maybe exactly the type of thing that, um, that I should be working through or, uh, or not doing. But, uh, what can I say? The conceit of the podcast is it's a stream of consciousness. And so, you know, whatever comes up, comes up. And yet I think about that too. Um, I guess I think two things. I think, um, I guess in my mind, Maybe we'll deconstruct this, but on, on, in, in my mind, I want the podcast to be something else. <laughs> I wish it was funnier. Uh, I wish when it was over, I wish I had more of a feeling of accomplishment. Um, I wish I walked away from more of them feeling like, yeah, man, you really did it that time. You really did. A, you really did a good job with that one. Um, and I don't. A lot of times, you know, I just sort of do it, and it is what it is. Um. And I guess I'm thinking of a few things, actually. I know this sounds like, this is, this is getting to be a bit of a clusterfuck, but um, uh, I'm, ho- I'm hoping it'll all come together. Uh, when I reflect back on the time where even in, in hindsight, I think, man, my, that creative mechanism, my songwriting mechanism was really working. You know, it's not like I, whatever I think I want to feel now, I, I, it's not like I felt that at other times in my life. You know, I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm always searching for this, feeling of having arrived or feeling fully formed or, um, I don't know the word for it, but even now as I'm sitting here wanting this thing for the podcast, I realize that it's something I've wanted in every aspect of my life that, um, even when I eventually get, you know, objectively where I want to go, it, it never feels the way I think it's going to feel. And so there's a part of me that feels a bit torn because I think, I'm sitting with the feeling where, in some ways, I wish the podcast felt like something else. Um, and so I start to romanticize this period of my life where I was like a very active songwriter, where uh, that was really the focus of my creative life, and, and honestly, my life in general, but um, this creative mechanism as, as, I, as I think about it. You know, songwriting was at the center of that. Um, even in that time, you know, when I, when I really think about how I felt, it was, I didn't feel fulfilled. You know, I still felt probably how I feel today, which is I'm sort of feeling my way forward in the dark. I don't really know what I'm working toward. Um, but there's something about that time period too. I just, I can't get away from, I can't, um, you know, a lot of times I feel called to return to it. And even though I don't really feel inspired in that direction, um, I don't know. I think it's weird to just reflect on times where you were, um, I don't know. You had less experience. You were probably comparatively more ignorant, uh, less mature. And yet, and some, sometimes you look back on those periods of your life and you feel like you had more figured out, you know, in some, in some ways you see yourself trying to work through things that you just didn't really deal with when you were younger. Um, I'll tell you what brought this up or one of, you know, this has happened a few times, but most recently, um, I was up late, which I've been doing, um, 
which I think is contributing to my malaise is uh, I'm just not, I'm not taking care of myself. You know, I'm very sedentary. I'm staying up late, having to wake up early and I'm just, I'm not healthy. I mean, when we first started this podcast too, I mean, I remember coming in here and being like, Hey man, your boy ran nine miles today. I could, if I ran one mile right now, I'd be exhausted. So I feel a lot of shame about that. Um, so I know it's very cliche, but one of my goals for the new year is I want to be more active. I do want to get into better shape. Um, but I was up late and, um, excuse me. And, um, I was looking at Instagram and, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, you have your inbox, which for me is, excuse me, usually my brother and me sending uh, memes back and forth or things that we find funny on Instagram, sending them to each other. Um, and then you have that sort of repository mailbox, right? That you never seem to get notifications about. But if you check it every once in a while, you have messages. And uh, and uh, I had a, uh, I had a couple messages, but I had one in particular from someone who, um, you know, had had uh, when I was writing and performing as the Plastic Arts, was a big fan of the record Academy Clones, and uh, that's a record that I keep. <laughs> you know, it's it's, you know, it's. It's very rewarding, but I, I keep hearing about that record. I keep having people uh, message me on their, on a regular basis about that record and saying, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but I reached out to you back in the day, and you were very friendly, but, you know, I stumbled on that record again, and it's always meant something to me. Um, and uh, on the one hand, it's very fulfilling, um, but maybe a lot of creative people feel this way. It, it, it is also weird when uh, I feel like I'm in a completely different place in my life, creatively, um, whatever. And all of the, well, two thoughts, all the feedback that I, that I seem to get is, is from a different time period, you know, for songs that I made in my past. And that's a weird position to be in. So it feels different because if I look at the numbers in terms of listeners, in terms of streams, in terms of monetary value, even, you know, the stuff I've done in the last, I was going to say a few years, but <laughs> it's really been like five years, which is uh, bizarre. But, um, you know, that music has reached more people than anything I've done at the Plastic Arts, as the Plastic Arts, even to this day. Um, I mean, one of my original songs, uh, most recently, you know, under this moniker, M. The Air Apparent, uh, broke a million streams, which, you know... Uh, I don't even think that the plastic arts, I don't think those songs collectively have broached 1 million streams collectively, let alone one song. But, um, and yet there's something about the music I did in that time period, which though the listenership is smaller, it's more dedicated, you know, it's more, uh, there's something about that work, which even though I, I never, I never, I mean, of course I, I played shows, but you know, I never, I really didn't really know how to promote it at the time. There was something about that music that sort of carried itself and it just sort of, it always has seemed to find whoever needed to find it for lack of a better word. And, and there were people who have found that music who uh, I can tell, you know, just by their response, like that's what they were looking for. Um, and I think, <laughs> I guess I'm trying to articulate this idea is when I was writing that music, I was just writing in isolation. You know, I didn't really consider an audience because I had no audience. And, uh, and, uh, maybe this is just sort of hindsight romanticization. Uh, 
But there's something when I think about that time period where I was writing for myself, I wasn't thinking about an audience. Um, I was just writing from my gut, from my core, from my soul, I guess. And um, there's just something about that music that has connected and, and stayed with people who found it. And and there's something about the spirit of that work, I think, that the, um, you know, the spirit that it was written in that I think has, has carried it. <clears throat> carried itself, if that makes sense. Uh, and now, I don't know, I, I guess I sort of think, like, as you go through life, you're supposed to be getting smarter, and you're supposed to be getting uh, more insightful. And if anything, the work you're supposed to be doing is improving. You know, it's not like I, uh, in terms of the creative process... Uh, you know, something like the podcast is new. And so, you know, you, you are very much an amateur at it. Uh, and it is sort of a different thing. It's it, in, in a way, it's supposed to be something very different from my creative work, which was very laborious. This is supposed to be very uh, the opposite of that. Very wu-wei, right? Very uh, no unnecessary action, that kind of thing. Uh, using what I have to just do what I do and just let letting it be enough, giving myself permission to let it be enough. Um. Uh, I guess I would have thought all my experiences since that time as the plastic arts, uh, I thought I would, I don't know. I, I, know, I, I feel like I'm speaking at cross purposes because on the one hand, you know, like I said, the music I've made in the last five years has reached more people. It's earned me more money <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. And yet, um... I don't know. I find it less fulfilling. And so I guess there's a part of me that, that, you know, sometimes I tell myself, you know what, you should just scrap everything you're doing and just go back to just writing acoustic songs and recording them on your computer and just uploading them. And I think there's a lot of people who would like that. But I think, I think what I'm really getting at here is trying to articulate, on the one hand, feeling like you know what you should do or what, what there, there is a small community of people who would be very happy if you did that, but also not feeling motivated in, in that direction at all. You know, so I feel, I feel like I'm kind of in limbo. And I'm not trying to force a connection here, but I, I think I'm just trying to describe how I feel in general right now. You know, we're at this intersection of these two years, and the last year has been uh, disorienting, to say the least. And uh, no one knows what the future is. Um, but struggling for clarity. I mean, I think... You know, I think at the end of last year, at the end of 2019, you know, I think we were all looking to 2020 as being a special year, right? 2020, uh, clarity, I remember a phrase, uh, is a phrase that I said, you know, we were, I think a lot of us were looking to 2020 to be a year of clarity and a year of change. And, and it was certainly a year of change, but probably not in the direction that any of us wanted. And so I don't know. Uh, I just started checking in with myself and I feel like I'm looking to 2021 to be a, an, another year of change. Um, getting back on track is a phrase that I'm thinking of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at what the next year will likely be. I mean, I'll continue in school, obviously. I, uh, you know, I anticipate continuing to do well in my grades. At some point, I'll know what uh, four-year school I'm going to be transferring to. Um, 
I don't even know if I've mentioned what schools I want to go to. I don't even know if I should be mentioning that stuff. That feels a little um, specific. You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll talk about that another time. But um, but uh, no doubt there will be a lot of changes for me next year. I'll probably be moving in with my girlfriend. Excuse me, that'll be a huge change. I mean, I think about that, recording the podcast. I mean, right now your boy's alone at his place. I can sort of set up and do this whenever I want. I wonder how having my girlfriend in another room uh, in our apartment while I'm doing this will affect things. I'll probably be speaking a lot more. A lot quieter. I'll be leaning into the mic a little bit more and whispering. But, um... Yeah, but I guess I'm also thinking, you know, what is my creative output going to be? You know, obviously the podcast will keep going. I'm trying to think. Well, this, I think, you know, 100 episodes will be in... September. I think by next September we'll have our episodes. So, you know, nine months from now, we should be hitting that first milestone. Will it be uh, a finish line or will it be just that, a sort of first milestone? I don't know. We'll keep, uh, we'll keep, um, revisiting that topic. But yeah. Maybe part of it too is I haven't had therapy in two weeks. You know, there's a part of me that would have anticipated when I fire up the microphone having, not having therapy. Um, I would have just had a shit ton to talk about. And yet I, I don't. I feel a little, you know, I feel a little... Uh, depleted. <laughs> I, think, I think depleted is the word for it. I mean, uh, for a while there, I've, I've just been showing up to therapy and, and not having a lot to say and, and talking about that and wondering what that's about. But there was a part of me that wondered if it's because of the podcast. You know, therapy for most of us is 50 minutes, five zero minutes, not even an hour. And uh, if you're like me, I, you know, I always set it as a goal to just sort of talk, 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 talk the whole time. And uh, there was a part of me that wondered if doing the podcast you know, was exhausting that, uh, conversational reservoir so that, uh, I was showing up to therapy and not having much to talk about. And I think there was a part of me that was looking forward to, Hey, well, you're not, you're don't have therapy for a couple of weeks because of the holidays. You know, maybe that'll make for some juicy podcasts, but I don't know. I think I said, in, I think I I think I said in the last one that it also felt difficult. So who knows? Yeah, for some reason, I'm thinking about my brother's comment. You know, he makes fun of me now for rewatching things or rereading things and... Uh, and in some ways, I, I, I'm sort of thinking about that because I was about to just launch into thinking, well, I'm, you know, I've been reading a lot of Stephen King lately, rereading a lot of Stephen King, but also reading a lot of new Stephen King. I'm reading uh, Salem's Lot right now, which I never read as a kid. Um, so I'm about three quarters of the way through that. It's pretty good. Uh, but also, I've been rewatching a lot of Kurosawa movies. You know, Kurosawa was, I guess, two things. You know, there's some things that don't age well. 
um, I mean, we were talking about the novel Sphere recently. That to me is a perfect example. Uh, Sphere by Michael Crichton is a sort of science. Well, it is not sort of. It is a science fiction novel by Michael Crichton, which was a big, big book for me as a kid. I remember reading it, and really, uh, there was something about its aesthetic, something about the mental space that it entered, the concepts it was dealing with that really just sort of tripped me out as a kid and really meant a lot to me. Um, uh, it was just a, you know, it just had a certain atmosphere that really, uh, really spoke to me as a kid. I went back and read it. It's fucking garbage. <laughs> it's not good. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, you can go back and listen to the episode St. Stephen King, where I talk about this ad nauseum, but you know, even though Salem's Lot is just fine, there's just, there's something about the quality of the writing. You know, there's something about the way that the, the, the narrative and the story moves forward in the prose where, you know, even if it's not as uh, ambitious thematically or in scope, you know, Stephen King just is a, is, a, is a great writer. And Michael Crichton, even though very good at sort of uh, ideas, concepts, um, maybe even thematically, he's just not as good a writer. You know, so you, uh, you really feel like the cusp of Crichton's talents where, uh, you know, you can really, uh, there's something more pillowy about Stephen King. You just, you, you kind of feel like you're in the hands of a master. Um, where am I going with that? Yes. I think I was comparing Kurosawa with Michael Crichton, if that makes sense. But, you know, Kurosawa for me was probably the first filmmaker. Uh, and maybe as soon as I say this, I'll be able to think of something to contradict this. But as I've just been thinking about it the last couple of weeks, I think Kurosawa's probably one of the first filmmakers that I really felt the need to uh, see as many of their movies as I could to, to digest their body of work, so to speak. And a, I mean, a couple things. I have said this at other times, and this is where you sound old, but I, now that I'm saying these types of things myself, I completely understand uh, why all generations do this. But when I was a kid... You know, you used to know what the canon was, whether it was literature or movies um, or music, because you had to go to the store and you had to see what was on the shelves. And there was just a de facto familiarity that you had with what was available just by because your eyes had to fo- literally, and I'm not supposed to be, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be saying literally. Um, and then another thing I'm going to have to start doing is I, I was listening to a, a couple episodes and I, I, I heard myself doing it this time also, but... Um, taking a weird type of breath or clicking my lips. So uh, I have to be mindful of that. But one thing at a time. Right now we're just excising literally from my vocabulary as I do the podcast. But, you know, your eyes, you know, uh, uh, you know, your eyes fell on, on, on what was available. Uh, and if you were lucky enough to have a video store that had a foreign film section, you know, you saw Fellini, you saw Kurosawa. Um, and uh, even though I had other movies that were huge for me, as a kid, Kurosawa, I think, was the first sort of person I saw as a filmmaker and somebody who had a body of work that I had to understand. Before that, I think it was just movies. But Kurosawa was the first, uh, and it probably had something to do with him being from another time period, too, um, where it felt like homework, you know? Uh, in the same way you had an author who had a body of work, oh, I'm going to read all of you know, Dostoevsky's novels or something like that. Kurosawa was the first filmmaker I came to. And it started with Seven Samurai. Uh, I, I've probably talked about this, but when I was going to boarding school, I had a history class and we were doing um, J- Japan. It was, I think, pretty sure it was a world history class. And we had a, a, a segment on Japan. And the culmination of that was we watched Seven Samurai. Um, 
and it must have taken a long time because I think it's like a three-hour movie. So we must have watched it over multiple class periods. But uh, that movie just sort of stuck with me. And it was um, that same year. Actually, this probably coincided with that. But that same year, I saw the film Red, the Kislowski movie from his Three Colors trilogy. It's the finale of that trilogy. But I remember seeing Red and feeling like it was... uh, like seeing Seven Samurai, it was, and actually, the, even a third movie, now that I think about it, which is going to sound strange, almost famous. Uh, those were three movies that as I watched them, I watched them all in the same year while I was going to this one particular school, that really felt uh, important. And also, uh, I felt lucky that I was seeing them. Uh, the first one, well, let me think. So Seven Samurai we watched in my history class. That was like, I'm so glad that my teacher showed that to us because it opened up a whole new world for me in terms of cinema. Kurosawa, obviously, but it also, it just put my mind on another track in terms of what film is and also what films are worth watching. You know, if I was just sort of browsing through the video store and I saw the case for Seven Samurai, I don't think I ever would have picked it up. You know, it's an old black and white uh, foreign film about feudal Japan. I I just don't think it would have spoken to me. So that was, uh, it, it gave me a taste for something else, like someone someone asking you to taste sh- sushi for the first time, or um, uh, you know anything comparable, something you you probably would not have tried otherwise, but was very good. Uh, and red was another one. I mean, uh, that I was you know I was infatuated with this one girl who was uh, taking a French class, and uh, she invited me to. Uh, they were having a screening of Red, the Kislowski movie, for her French class, and she invited me to come see it. And I remember watching it and just being like blown away the the con the, i mean the the plot itself was very intriguing but also cinematically i had never seen a movie quite like it um and it, it just as i was watching it it just felt like a gift and uh so that and then also there was something about almost famous also the cameron crowe film which i think is uh, is a great movie um it's more of a popular film obviously but uh seeing that for the first time was I don't know. That movie really cast a spell over me. And I, I've, you know, I've seen it probably like two dozen times since then. But uh, that was another one. But the point is, is that Kurosawa w- was like the first filmmaker that I was like, oh, I, I remember coming back from that school. And uh, I mean, to the extent that it was, it was even possible trying to see everything I could by Kurosawa. And it meant, <laughs> I remember there was this, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But when I was living in Tucson, Arizona, you know, I had a blockbuster uh, card and they may have had Sam- Seven Samurai, but at this point I was really interested in in movies and film and trying to see as much as I could. And Blockbuster was just not going to cut it. But I do remember uh, getting uh, a membership to you know sort of the local indie, uh, the local indie video store, and everything's on VHS tape by the way at this point. <clears throat> but uh, you know they had a foreign film section and it wasn't huge. It was just like one rack upstairs. Um, but they had a Kurosawa section and I remember just sort of going through and taking all those movies out and it was things like Hidden Fortress, Ikru, Seven Samurai, Yojimbo, Sanjuro, um, Throne of Blood, uh, Ron, I think Ron we actually had on DVD. Um, anyway, all the Kurosawa films really, uh, that were available, even High and Low I remember seeing, which I think is harder to find. Now you have Criterion Collection, so all these films are... (laughs) readily available but they were not as readily available when i was uh when i was younger but uh when even even then there was still this thing and it and it still rears its head and i think we all know what this is but 
you know, even though those movies are relatively enjoyable, I probably uh, didn't enjoy them as much as I felt I should have enjoyed them. There was more motivating my uh, continuing to watch them, not my uh, visceral enjoyment of them as much as uh, it was my homework. It was something I was supposed to be doing. You know, Kurosawa is a canonized uh, filmmaker that you had to know. And uh, even if it wasn't as... You know, I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I rewatched The Hidden Fortress recently, which around the time that I was watching Kurosawa for the first time was probably one of my least favorite that I had seen. Um, and I guess I was pleasantly surprised to rewatch it and think, oh, there's actually some really, there's some really good scenes in this. And it's relatively entertaining. And it was slow, but that's sort of typical of uh, older films. I mean, I've watched them, you know, this is another conversation, but I've also been watching a lot of Westerns. And God, those movies are overbloated and slow. And uh, especially depending on how they're blocked or shot, uh, they get really... Um, you know, it's fun. This is sort of sacrilegious for a lot of people who are into film, but I watched Rio Bravo and I did not like it. You know, I, uh, you know, you watch a movie like uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre or um, uh, The Searchers even. And uh, I know these are, you know, kind of, uh, maybe some people don't even think these are comparable films, but, you know, Rio Bravo is sort of shot and staged and blocked almost like a play. You know, there are multiple shots within scenes, but it has almost, it has kind of a single, cam, sing, single camera feel to it. Um, and it just, I don't know, it's not immersive. You know, whereas you watch something like um, uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and it's, or even, uh, I guess I'm thinking of uh, really a, a more comparable or even a, a better example is a movie like Yojimbo, Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which is, uh, you know, the Fistful of Dollars is <laughs> sort of a, uh, uncredited remake of, or whatever you want to call it, but, you know, it's just more cinematic, it's more uh, immersive, it's just more, I don't know, there's something more to it. So anyway, I think I'm just trying to say I was watching Hidden Fortress and being like, uh, it's better. But there's, so I guess I'm surprised, in some ways I, I, I saw myself sitting down to watch these Kurosawa movies and thinking, you know, I was kind of doing my homework again, I was having my, uh, I was supposed to be eating my vegetables, uh, but they're much better, you know, and I enjoy them much more as an adult. And I don't know if that's because you have more patience or, you know, the themes are more compelling. Um, I think there's something about mature filmmakers like Kurosawa, which even though I was younger, I, I don't, I, I think I was probably too young for them. Um, there's something about the themes now that you, you watch these movies and you, you just understand them. And there's, there, there's something, uh, that was probably lost on you when you were younger that, uh, even though it is old, even though the pacing is different, um, even though it's not as technically good as, as newer movies, um, the themes themselves are compelling. Uh, and I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm contrasting two ideas here. <clears throat> but it's also insane. <laughs> I had a couple thoughts. You know, Hidden Fortress is... Uh, it's just funny when you read uh, criticism of older movies where people still talk about them as if they're you know, rele uh, relevant and engaging films. Like, you know, Hidden Fortress is great, and there's some sequences that are very impressive for the time period. Um, but there's not, you know, collectively, you look at Hidden Fortress, the entire film, it's an epic, and there's battle sequences and all that, and there's, uh, there's some great scenes. But collectively, that film is not as engaging or as engrossing as five minutes of Dunkirk, you know, the Christopher Nolan movie. 
And then you look at a movie, I mean, because I've been thinking about Christopher Nolan a lot lately, you look at a movie like Rio Bravo and you just think, if you could tap them on the shoulder and show them Tenet, their heads would have fucking exploded. I mean, first, I mean, I, and I, I know I was complaining a lot about Tenet, but I'm just talking about from a technical standpoint. You know, if you were, if you were to show somebody, if you were to pull John Wayne aside between takes of Rio Bravo and show him, uh, you know, the Freeport sequence of, uh, of Tenet, his, his, his mind would have fucking melted. Um, Yeah, for some reason I'm thinking about music, you know, as someone who spent a year of their life uh, listening to Beethoven and then a year of their life listening to only Brahms, you know, there's still <laughs> there's still a feeling of relief or or I don't know what you call it, but like uh you know, there's just a a sigh of relief that comes when you just listen to some pop music. You know, um, you know Beethoven is so much better for you and you know it's more technically brilliant and you know I don't know, you even know it has more of the I don't know, the highest ideals of humanity. It's just better. But uh, for some reason, I enjoy the 1975 more. <laughs> yeah, what is that? I mean, is it? Is it? I mean, I, I, the first thing I think of is like vegetables versus pepperoni pizza. Like, of course, you love pepperoni pizza. You know, uh, the best uh, jicama or the best uh, Brussels sprouts in the world are just not going to compare to pepperoni pizza. Uh, is it that? Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm thinking about these things because I've also been reading a lot of, uh, you know, I, my whole thing recently has been reading popular writers, Stephen King, uh, Elmore Leonard. I just read Pronto by Elmore Leonard and, uh, you know, it's great and it's just engrossing. And it's like, you read a book like Pronto and it's like, you're up until, or at least I am, I'm up to like 4am reading it, you know, because I, I'm just swept up in the plot and the pacing and, and I just want to, I just want to know what happens. And there's, you know, I, I guess the, you know, the book I always compare things to is like Gravity's Rainbow. That book was a miserable reading experience. Every time I started the new chapter, I would look at the pages and just like, I couldn't wait to get to the end of the chapter just to to be done with it and be able to put it down. Um, I mean, that really is like eating your vegetables. It's like plugging your nose and just sort of, you know, wolfing it down just to get it over with. Um, So I don't know. It's weird to be thinking about these things. You know, on the one hand, you can't say that Elmore Leonard is Dostoevsky, but if if, if you enjoy the book more, is it better? What is the benchmark of quality? You know, maybe Michael Crichton does deal with some bigger themes than Stephen King, but Stephen King is a better writer. Anyway, dude, as I'm doing this, like I, I've said, I've been video recording all the, like, I think back up, back up to like episode 53. So I have video recordings of all these episodes, but this one in particular, my nose is itching the whole time. Every five seconds, I'm like picking my nose practically. Who knows, at some point in the future, you'll be able to see that. But, um, man. (laughs) 
you know, I've I've kind of been avoiding talking about this on the podcast, but I'm for you know, I've, I've and I think I attribute it to Elmore Leonard, but I've I've been thinking about guns a lot. <laughs> I uh I was reading Out of Sight by Elmore Leonard and there's uh, in the one of the opening scenes, I forget the character's name, but the the female lead in in the novel Out of Sight. Uh, he introduces her and says that uh, she, uh, she's like a deputy or she's some sort of marshal. I don't know what she is, but she's uh, she works in law enforcement in some capacity. And so she has uh, uh, she has multiple guns with her. But he mentions that she has a Sig Sauer 38, which is like a gun that she loves. And as I when I read that, I thought, you know, I've, I've read a lot of Elmore Leonard novels, and there's a lot of mentioning of different types of guns. And I'm not a gun guy, so I don't know what to picture. So at some point I looked up online, like on YouTube or something, or I probably did a Google image search first and then went to YouTube, but I was looking for this six hour 38. And so I saw some images and I saw some videos of people firing this gun and it was kind of intriguing and like, you know, like YouTube does, if you watch one video, it'll show you others. And so I just kind of got the taste for like watching these gun videos of people like shooting and showing guns. And it's just been fucking bizarre because that's like one of the things I do now is I like looking at gun videos and I like watching people shoot different types of guns. And for some reason, I mean, the, the, the reason I'm even watching Westerns is because for some reason, as I was watching these videos, the ones I kept coming back to and I found really intriguing were people who were firing the Colt single action army guns, these sort of Western cowboy guns. And I'm not a Western person. I'm not a cowboy's uh, guy, I'm not a Wild West guy, but for some reason, there's something about that gun that speaks to me, and uh, I've just enjoyed. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's just bizarre to me that I've gone down this thing of like looking at people shoot these guns, and not just the Colts, but like different, you know, Rugers and just different companies that make these type of Western type guns, these sort of single action revolvers and uh, six shooters, and. Um, yeah, I'm seriously considering like trying to get one. Uh, in California, we have, I don't know, I've looked into it a little bit. Um, I've never owned a, a firearm personally, although I think that makes me an exception in my family. I think every single member of my family owns multiple firearms. And so I've shot many times in my life. Um, but I've never, uh, I've never owned a firearm personally. Um, but it's, it, you know, if I, I never would have anticipated it. I'm not one of these Second Amendment people. It's not even a home defense thing. It's uh, recreationally, but there's a part of me that uh, really wants to get a pistol and start going to the range. Even if it's just shooting like 22s or something, I just, uh, I don't know. That speaks to me for some reason. And I, I, I honestly, I, as I'm saying it, I feel kind of embarrassed to say it. <laughs> but uh, that's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's something I've been thinking about. I've sort of told myself, um, you know, uh, not, not something I want to jump into because I think... Uh, one, it's a process to own a firearm, but it's also, a, I know it's a big expenditure, you know, buying a gun, buying ammunition. I mean, I sort of try to compare it. You know, I, I know I always have these like passing interests that I get into for like a year and then abandon. And there's nothing completely wrong with that. That's, that's part of what life is. You know, you're sort of at the salad bar of life. You taste a little bit here and some things last and some things don't. But I feel like with a firearm in particular, it's, it's, it's almost... You know, not that it is a tattoo because tattoos are more or less permanent, but there's a part of me that feels like you really have to marinate on this. Um, and so I've told myself, uh, I'm not going to seriously consider buying a firearm until the summer. 
I'm going to wait for the rest of the school year. If I continue to look at videos and am interested and, and really feel compelled to try it out, you know, go to a range. Uh, I'm sure I, I probably know someone with a firearm. I could probably go to a range and just sort of shoot. Maybe I'll shoot once and get it out of my system. Um, but if it's something I'm still thinking about in uh, four or five months, then I, I might consider uh, buying a firearm. But I think the other side of that is as someone who is already sort of thinking about it, knowing that they want to go into it recreationally, you also get this fucking bizarre window into gun culture. And I know we make fun of gun people a lot here in California. Um, but there is a... <laughs> if you ever go down the rabbit hole of YouTube gun culture, I mean, the uh, in some ways it also is this sort of peak in like Trump's America, right? I mean, there are some people who are so entrenched in Second Amendment and gun rights. And um, I don't know, I, it's it's sort of interesting for me to be thinking about this stuff because, you know, as someone who, you know, is sitting here thinking, oh yeah, I think at some point I would like to buy my own gun and sort of shoot it recreationally. I guess I, on the one hand, I think of like critics of guns who would hear that and just uh, almost feel like someone was going over to the dark side, but also knowing that you're not, that's not uh, how you're looking at things, you know, Uh, I would want a gun for a very specific reason. Uh, And yet it would sort of make you one of the type of people that you could very easily be uh, made fun of, if that makes sense. I mean, there's so many people who have these uh, YouTube channels, and I don't want to disparage people their body of knowledge. I mean, obviously, firearms, like anything, uh, I don't know, almost like guitars is something that you can have a lot of insight into, you can be uh, very proficient with. Um, You know, it's the type of thing that, you know, you could spend your whole life learning about and never know everything, right? Um, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, like guitars or whatever it is, but, um, some of the, <laughs> I don't know, the philosophical underpinnings of a lot of these people seem very dubious. There's something about, uh, gun culture, uh, uh, and I, and I realize that, uh, if it's something you're really into, it's, there's no way around it. I mean, people are trying to, uh, limit, uh, restrict gun access and ammunition access. And so, yes, people are trying to, heavily qualify your right to bear, to bear arms. That's uh, You can't really argue that fact. But some of the defenses that people use who are gun owners or, or the, I don't know, what they purport to believe or, or uh, it, just seems, it just seems very disingenuous. You know, they talk about Second Amendments, they talk about their right to bear arms, and, uh, and yet there's something about a lot of those people where you just feel like they're not being honest about why they like them, you know? It's sort of, uh, it's sort of uh, it, it becomes cloaked in... in um, uh, morality or, or principle is probably a better word for it, but really it's just people who like to shoot things. And I just can't get away from the idea that so much of it is like these people on, on some level really want to shoot someone, <laughs> you know, and not in a sort of Sandy Hook kind of uh, uh, domestic terrorist kind of way, but they really do feel tough, you know? I don't know. Uh, it's as I'm looking at the clock and I'm, <laughs> I'm realizing we have to uh, end this episode pretty soon. I'm thinking, you know, this, this is probably not the note. <laughs> I want to end the last podcast of the year on. So I'll just say this, but, um, and you probably don't need to be convinced of this, but there's something very disingenuous about uh, the way a lot of people who own uh, in, in own guns and shoot guns, uh, they're uh, the way they represent themselves versus what I, the, the, the behavior and the types of feelings that I think are actually, uh, motivating their interest <laughs> in owning and shooting guns, especially guns of a certain sort. Um, although I will say, 
I guess the other side of that coin is people who are gun critics and have never shot a gun. Uh, that's a little strange too. So anyway, um, (laughs) how do I, uh, how do I tango out of that topic gracefully? Um, can it be done? Oh Lord. Well, what's to be said? Um, I rewatched the movie Unbreakable last night. <clears throat> this is interesting because it comes up for two reasons. I, as I'm thinking about gun owners, I had this thought where I thought, you know, everybody wants to be a hero. You know, in some ways, it's like, uh, and if you're trained with a firearm, it, you probably do have the leg up on people. But I think uh, a lot of times people are shooting and they picture themselves in a firefight, and they, they, I don't know, they picture they, they want to be the action star. You know, they see themselves gunning down a bunch of bad guys and being a hero. Um, and if you've seen Unbreakable, it's about you know a dude who's a superhero and doesn't realize it. But um, that's another movie that when it came out, uh, I remember seeing it in theaters and being disappointed by it. I didn't like it. Uh, even though I still think it ends very abruptly and is very anticlimactic, I was uh, I was really I was really into it when I was watching last night. I thought I really misjudged this movie, and in some ways, it probably goes back to Kurosawa. You know, I just think it's 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 bizarre that this was M Night Shyamalan's second movie, and yet it's it's the type of movie he should have made at the end of his career. There's just something so mature about it, visually. Uh, conceptually it's just so strong and uh i don't think i don't know maybe that movie wasn't marketed well or something but there's i i don't know i just see it in a completely different way now there's something so cool about that concept of someone who's a superhero who doesn't realize it you know um and it's just so interesting visually and uh it's funny as fuck too uh i you know he pulled this off with six cents also but there's so many great moments of dry deadpan humor that just works so well and you know to watch a movie like unbreakable and think you know bruce willis is fucking incredible in this movie um he just yeah he really fucking kills it and uh the, the you know like six cents with um uh, Haley Joel Osment, you know, probably one of the best, uh, child actor performances ever in Sixth Sense. The kid lead in this one is also incredible. So, uh, it's just bizarre that M. Night Shyamalan's career after that, that just was riddled with bull holes and missteps and misfires and, um, and I don't know, squandered opportunities, you know? I mean, I, uh, I remember seeing Split, which is like a, a sort of, a excuse me, like a, like a stealthy, sequel to unbreakable um and then eventually uh glass came out which i don't think many of us saw i didn't i haven't seen it um but it was weird to think of that trilogy you know split was okay uh, unbreakable great split was okay and then glass as far as i know was pretty much panned critically and it's like that just seems to be the trajectory of m night Shyamalan's career which is very strange it's bizarre that somebody had you know, I think Six Sense is a great film. I think Unbreakable is surprisingly probably better. Um, you know, the like I said, the ending of Unbreakable is a bit abrupt and anticlimactic, so that's disappointing. Um, but Six Sense, in a weird way, it's 
it's not inverted, but the you know the first three quarters of Sixth Sense are phenomenal when it's a horror movie, and then it just sort of turns off. There's this scene where, um, you know, probably one of the scarier sequences in the movie is uh, there is someone in his tent. You know, the, he, he has this tent in his room, his sort of sanctuary that he's made, and someone's in there. And there's this great sequence where the tent sort of collapses on this body, and he slowly walks back over to it, and it's fucking. It just visually, it's very scary. But then, you know, um, uh, I'm trying not to spoil it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't become a horror movie anymore. Uh, he sees these ghosts, and then he has to help them. And I remember seeing it in theaters, and just it was like the energy left the theater. You know, it cuts to this scene after he realizes, oh, I have to help these people, and it cuts to him on a bus. And I remember feeling that in the theater. Like, uh, there was all this pressure mounting and all of a sudden it just escaped. And of course it comes back with the ending and the plot twist and it, it sort of saves itself. But, um, in some ways I think Unbreakable, surprisingly, uh, even though I was disappointed by it when it came out, I think it might be a better movie. So anyway, I'm hearing myself talk. I'm, uh, I feel myself doing the filler thing where I'm realizing we have to end here and I'm just sort of talking for the sake of talking. So why don't I spare you that? Why don't, uh... Let's be honest with each other here at the uh, in the gloaming of, of 2020. Uh, let's go ahead and start wrapping things up. Uh, I guess I should thank you, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast regularly, if you've been tuning in for each episode, um, thank you. If you subscribe to the podcast, thank you. Um, it means a lot. You know, I don't, uh, I know there's a lot of stuff out there, <laughs> you know, I, uh, HBO, uh, Game of Thrones, Netflix, Queen's Gambit. There's a lot of things you could be spending your time uh, ingesting, and I'm sure you do a fair amount of that stuff, but the fact that you uh, give even uh, one hour of your week to listening to me talk about whatever the fuck, um, it means a lot. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about how difficult the podcast has been, or I may... Um, I don't know, it may sound like I'm bleeding all over the floor here, but um, at the end of the day... It's something I enjoy doing. It's something I, um, um, I'm eager to keep doing. And uh, if you want to stick around for that, um, that that's awesome. So if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already and you want to, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, take a minute, rate and review us, right? Give us five stars. If you like the show, type a couple sentences about why you do. Uh, that can do a lot to convince people to check it out. Um, uh, but yeah, I, the best, you know, the best thing you can do is if you know anyone in your life who you think would like the podcast, let them know, uh, nothing sells anything like word of mouth. So if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show, uh, go ahead and send them your favorite episode. In the meantime, um, welcome to the end of 2020. Uh, take care of yourselves. Don't drink and drive, stay home, stay safe. And, uh, we will see you again in 2021 until then. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening and ciao for now.